Last week, we talked about the unexpected gift of silence as we unpack the, the consequences of Zechariah's unbelief. But as we looked at that together, we realized that it was not necessarily a punishment from God, but instead was more of an invitation to draw deeper into a relationship with God. Because when he could finally speak, there was nothing but prophetic praise that poured out of his mouth. But as we read passages like that, I think if we're honest with ourselves, that we do have to ask and, and sometimes wonder, is it okay to doubt? Is it safe to ask questions? Well, well thankfully this morning, I think our passage does address those concerns and I believe it will put our mind at ease because as we will see, Mary had some questions of her own. And to be honest, the answer she were getting complete understanding um, to her. So she had to live for a, for a while with a lot of unknown. She had to find some place of contentment in the midst of some crazy, chaotic circumstances. But we do see that God filled her heart with the unexpected gift of his peace. Even when she didn't have all the answers, he miraculously put her mind at ease. This is what the Bible describes as a, a peace that surpasses all understanding. It's a gift. It's a gift to those who trust in the sovereignty of God so that even when we don't have all the answers, we believe that he's still at work fulfilling a good and perfect purpose, even in the midst of our imperfect situations and life circumstances. So before we look at that together, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come before you this morning, we want to have a heart like Mary's that was so attentive to what you were speaking to her that day. We, we pray that because we believe that you sp still speak to your people in our hearts, even now, even this morning. We believe that your word is God-breathed, that this is from your mouth into our hearts through the work of your spirit. And so, Lord, that's our prayer, that we would be attentive, that we would hear you speak, and that in faith we would respond like Mary. Would you help us be in that place this morning? We pray this in your name. Amen. In our discipleship group, I mentioned last week, one of the things that we talked about was how Luke was very intentional about curating his content. He says in the very beginning that he will give an orderly account. And it's passage like this that you can really see how that's true because he gives so much attention to the finest details. He tells us in the passage that this event takes place six months after the preceding event. Okay, so we're six months into the promise that God made to Zechariah that his wife Elizabeth would become pregnant. That moment in time when God spoke into the silence of prayers assumed to be unanswered both from Zechariah personally, but from the nation of Israel as a whole, who have for years been praying for God's deliverance. And that very same angel who visited Zechariah 
has now been sent to a young teenage girl named Mary. But instead of the holy temple in Jerusalem where he appeared to Zechariah, the angel did, now God sends Gabriel to a rural town in Galilee. It's kind of a, a backwards, nondescript city known as Nazareth. But once again, Luke gives us this detail because it matters. We see how Matthew highlights that in Matthew chapter 2, verse 23, when he says, they, speaking of, his, uh, of Mary and Joseph, came to live in a city named Nazareth. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets, he, the Messiah, shall be called a Nazarene. Which, to be honest, is a little confusing because you won't find this exact quotation in the Old Testament. But what you do find are prophecies like we see in Isaiah chapter 4, verse 2, where it says, In that day, the branch of the Lord, now remember that, branch of the Lord will be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth will be the pride and the adornment of the survivors of Israel. Another example is Isaiah 11, chapter 1. This one's a little more familiar. It says, then a shoot will spring up from the stem of Jesse, and a branch, there's that same word, from its roots will bear fruit. All of these passages and others like them are prophetic promises about the coming Messiah, which is being identified here as the branch. The one who will rise up from the kingdom of Israel that will have been cut down like a, a tree that has fallen. But a branch, a, a, a spring, a root that, or it's a branch that springs up from the root of Jesse in that line of David will emerge. And he will be called a Nazarene, which get this, the word Nazareth literally means branch town. Branch town. So this prophetic city, in this prophetic city, there is a, a man who's engaged, or a woman who's engaged to a man named Joseph. And we learn from our passages that Joseph was a descendant of David, not so ironically, connected to the stem of Jesse and pointing to that branch. And within each of these details, you'll, you'll see how Luke is so specific about what he's wanting to communicate, and he's hoping, all right, that as we read this and we start seeing these things line up, that we're building some expectation, that we're connecting the dots, and we're saying to ourselves, wait a second, I know where this is going. It's with that context in mind that the angel speaks to Mary, and he says, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. The, the very next verse says that Mary was perplexed by that statement. In other words, she was confused by this greeting. But I want you to notice that she, unlike Zachariah last week, is not gripped with fear and panic at the sight of this angel. Instead, she just kind of pauses to ponder, why, why does the angel say that I'm favored? After all, she's just a teenage girl from a rural town in Galilee. She hasn't lived long enough, probably 13 years old, 
to do anything significant with her life. In fact, she feels very normal. But the angel says she's favored. That's why she's confused. And Mary's response should reveal to us another important detail because this is not a woman who somehow earned God's favor. She's not being set apart because of something special she's done for God. Instead, she is favored because God has chosen to do something special through her. To be favored literally means to be endowed with grace. Interestingly, it's the very same word used in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, that says, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed or favored on us in the beloved. Which means, if you are in Christ, you, my friend, are favored as well. Like Mary, you've been set apart for a divine purpose. So you can understand why Mary pauses to consider this greeting. But the angel went ahead and spoke and, and explained the grace that would be freely bestowed upon her. He says, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall name him Jesus. So Mary would miraculously become pregnant. She's been graciously invited into God's story of redemption. And the son that she will bear will be given a divine mission, which at least is in part is revealed in his name because the name Jesus literally means the Lord saves. And so somehow, Israel's prayer for deliverance will be answered through Mary's miraculous birth. The angel says, he will be great, and he will be called the son of the Most High, which was actually fulfilled in a passage that we looked at last week when Zechariah said it in chapter 1 of Luke, verse 76, he said, referring again to his son John, and you, child, will be called the prophet, there it is, of the Most High. That's Jesus for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. In fact, as we continue to read throughout the New Testament, we see that even the demons declare this identity. In Mark chapter 5, verse 7, and shouting with a loud voice, it says, the demon said, what business do we have with each other? Jesus, son of the most high God. The title is important because it reveals the divine nature of Jesus. It, it announces his equality with God because as the son of God, Jesus is the embodied presence of God. That's why we read in Hebrews chapter one, verse three, he is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of the nature so that when you see Jesus, you see God. And as such, Jesus is the only one who can rightly fulfill the Davidic promise. As it's mentioned in this passage, the one who will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. That's what we read in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, when God says 
to David, when your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendants after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom. And we know that he does establish that kingdom through his son Solomon. But he looks even beyond that day and he says in verse 16, your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever and your throne will be established forever. So you see, this eternal kingdom led by one with an eternal rule is a divine prerogative, a holy responsibility reserved for God alone. And Jesus is the one who will fulfill that promise. The angel is ultimately revealing the details of the redemptive plan of God, the plan that was established from before the world began, a plan that was unfolding throughout human history and continues to this very day. And our Savior, Jesus Christ, is at the heart of that plan. And just like he did with Mary, God invites us into that story. You see, the good news of the gospel, just like what was happening with Mary in that moment, is happening right now, this morning, as we sit here together. Like the angel Gabriel, we are announcing, we are worshiping, we are singing with great hearts of joy, believing in our heart of hearts that the Lord has come, that he is the fulfillment of God's promise, that he brings salvation to the world so that by faith we live for eternity in this eternal kingdom. We're invited into that life-giving fellowship with God through the forgiveness of sins. That's what the celebration of Christmas is about. See, God wants to interrupt our mundane lives and invite us into something bigger. He wants us to, to open our eyes and see the miracle of his redemption. So let's just think about what this might have been like for Mary. And as we did last week, let's make it personal, okay? Let's not separate ourselves from this situation, but put ourselves into the same encounter. Because you'll notice in verse 34, she asks the question. She understands clearly what the angel had to say. And so she asked, how can this be since I am a virgin? In other words, how can a virgin be with a child? I mean, that's a very fair question, don't you think? But I want you to notice something. This is really important. Mary did not ask if it would happen. See, that's what we ran into last week with Zechariah. He needed proof to know if his wife would actually become pregnant. Mary's not asking if, she's asking how. So this is not unbelief. This is faith that seeks understanding. She believed what the angel said was true. She just didn't know how that she would become pregnant if she's never been with a man. And, and honestly, I think the greatest evidence of Mary's faith is not in the question she asked. I think her faith is revealed in what she did not question. Because you'll notice, she didn't blink an eye at the news 
of the coming Messiah that would have been crystal clear to her. You see, if I'm in Mary's shoe, again, I'm making this personal. I put myself in this position. I'm stopping Gabriel and saying, wait, 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 just a second. We know about the promise of the head-crushing Redeemer all the way back in Genesis. We know that he comes from the seed of Abraham through the line of David, that he will rule eternally in an eternal kingdom. We know about that, and we have been longing for that day for hundreds and hundreds of years. So wait just a minute. Are you telling me that today is that day? See, that's what I would be asking him because I'm connecting the dots. It's crystal clear. But that's not what Mary does. She didn't even bleak an eye. She never once questioned the coming of the promised Messiah. She believed that what God was, said was true. She understood the promise. She didn't quite understand the part that she was intended to play. So the angel explains that the miracle of her pregnancy would be through the work of the Holy Spirit. Her child would be the son of God because it's the result of the work of God, not a human intervention, okay? The outcome is a divine revelation. That's why it says in verse 37, nothing is impossible with God. This is all his doing. In fact, God performed a multitude of miracles just to get to this point. In fact, what we just sang about, the one who created Mary becomes the created. It has always been God's plan to intervene and dwell among us. John chapter 1, verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen his glory, glories of the only son of the father, full of grace and truth. And then verse 18, this is incredible. It says, no one has ever seen God. Then he goes on and says, the only God who is at the father's side, he, speaking of Jesus, has made him known. And, and even though Mary didn't ask for a sign like Zechariah did, she believed the angel gave one to her anyway. He explains to Mary that her barren cousin Elizabeth is miraculously with child. And we know that her child will be the forerunner of the Messiah. So John the Baptist will announce the coming of Jesus the Messiah, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. And again, putting myself in this account, I can't imagine how overwhelming it must have been for, a, for Mary to receive this news. And yet, look at her response again in verse 38. And Mary said, behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So, so if you had any doubts, which would be amazing if you did, about Aunt Mary's faith up to this point, I, I, you can't anymore. I mean, it seems very evident. Her response is nothing short of a peace-filled resolve. A, a peace that isn't present 
I promise you, it isn't present because everything made sense to her in that moment. Again, she's going to live with a lot of unknown for a good long while. There were so many unanswered questions. But Mary put her faith in the sovereignty of God. May it be done to me according to your word. That's when she found the peace that surpasses all understanding. She took what was on her heart and she put it in his hands. In the New Testament, Paul writes about this same kind of transaction, this same kind of trust and faith in a very familiar passage, Philippians chapter four, verses six and seven. It says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, because by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And there it is, the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so as we finish up this morning, I want us to just kind of unpack the, the attributes of this unexpected peace. Because there's a connection with what we witnessed in Mary's example. Paul tells the Philippians to battle anxiety by being prayerful. Now, Peter goes on in, in his letter and he says, cast all your anxiety on him, on God, because he, he cares for you. So, so what both of these authors are trying to help us understand is that, that prayer is a means of taking what is heavy on our heart, what is on our mind, and putting it into the hands of our Savior, just like we see with Mary. It's an, an intentional decision to relinquish control, believing in God's sovereignty even when we don't have all the answers. It's a purposeful decision to trust. And here's the promise of Scripture. When this is our posture before the Lord, it says in Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. So resting in God's sovereignty is where we find the unexpected gift of his peace. It's trusting in his control more than ours, casting our anxiety on him because he cares for us. May it be done to me according to your word. Now, I want you to know, I absolutely believe everything I just told you. I believe those promises are true and present and apply to every single person in this room. But I also know how easy it is to lose perspective. In fact, I know firsthand what it's like to live where you're lost in a world of what-if worry, Mental, mentally creating a future filled with all the worst-case scenarios. I know that world. Before I even realize it, I've fabricated this false future that does not include God. I ruminate on worry to such a degree that I lose sight of his presence. And if you've ever been there before, you know that's a dark place. And there is no peace in that place. But listen to me clearly. That place does not exist. It's a false future. It doesn't exist. And the reason we know that's true 
is because of what we read in Psalm 139, verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit, God? Where can I flee from your presence? If I, if I send to heaven, you're there. If I might make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take up the wings of dawn, if I dwell in the remotest parts of the sea, even there, your hand will lead me. Your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. And the night is as bright as day. Darkness and and light are alike to you. I have to remind myself, a future that does not include God does not exist. We have to reject it and remind ourselves it's simply not true. See, Mary didn't have all the details of what her future life would be, but here's what she did know. And I think she heard this clearly when the angel first greeted her and he said, the Lord is with you. There is nothing that you will experience that is outside of his consoling presence. And what is true for Mary with utmost conviction, I proclaim to you this morning, is equally true for you. Like Mary, that peace comes from the assurance of his presence. Let me just give you a couple of soul-satisfying verses to support this. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6. Listen to God speak to you. Remember, we prayed for that this morning. We ask God to speak clearly to our heart. Well, he's about to do it, so listen closely. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Or how about this one, Isaiah 43, 2. When you pass through the waters, God says, I'll be with you. Through the rivers, they'll not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. So even though we don't know what our future holds, we absolutely know who holds our future. Amen? We cast our anxieties on him because he cares for us. Trusting in his presence is where we find the unexpected peace that surpasses all understanding. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for that promise. Thank you for the words that you spoke to Mary that resonate in our hearts as well because you are also with us. And we have that same peaceful assurance knowing that you are sovereignly in control. And so whatever cares we have, we cast on you. Whatever anxieties we possess, we put on you. And and we entrust the details of our future into your hands. May it be done to us according to your word. And Father, would you, in your grace and mercy, Give to us that unexpected gift of peace that surpasses all understanding because of the assurance of your presence, knowing that there is no future scenario that doesn't include your consoling presence.
present in our lives. We believe this. And so we pray this in your name. Amen. Let's stand together. That's the great news. Emmanuel, God with us. And when we think about Christmas, we think of that incarnation when the holy living God came to dwell among men. But I want to remind you this morning that through the work of the Holy Spirit, he has never left you. He is ever present. There's not a place that you can go that he is not with you. We see that in that passage. The highest of highs, the lowest of lows. And I'll just be honest with you. I shared with you this morning through my sermon the things that the Lord has been teaching me this week. I want you to know that I realized for the first time when I began to unpack this peace that passes understanding, that this ruminating worry and false future of all the possible worst-case scenarios doesn't actually exist. I know, I'm an idiot, but I just had to come to some realization. And this week, I proclaimed out loud with my mouth, Lord, I know that world does not exist. It is not true. I reject it. It is from the enemy, and I accept the assurance of your presence in every place I will ever be for all eternity. And when we think about the celebration of Christmas, that's what made it possible. So don't look at it as a distant past. Look at it as a present reality and a future hope. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord. Thank you for these sweet friends, family, growing together as we learn together, as we open up your word and it penetrates our heart. It reminds us of truth. It dispels all the enemy's deception. Lord, thank you that we can learn in community as you've created us to. And Lord, we just pray that we can encourage each other towards love and good deeds, that we would never forsake our gathering together but in every opportunity that we have, we encourage each other to stand strong in what we know to be true. You are our Emmanuel. You are and ever will be with us. And that is we find the peace that passes understanding. We pray this in your name. Amen. Have a great day.